This program is made possible by BibleWayMedia.org, overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uloga, Oklahoma. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Today we come to the conclusion of our study of the 15 periods of Bible history. The 15th period is the period of the church. In the Bible, the period of the church covers from Acts chapter 2 through the book of Revelation. This period of Bible history began with the establishment of the church on the first day of Pentecost after the death of our Lord in about A.D. 33. And it will last until the second coming of Jesus when this world will be destroyed and the church is delivered up to the Father. I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to look at that. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to read verses 24 through 26. He says, Then cometh the end, when he, that being Jesus, the end being the end of time, the end of the world, shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father. The kingdom is the church. When he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he, that being Jesus, must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death, and death will be destroyed on the resurrection day. So Jesus is coming back. This world is going to be destroyed. The church is going to be delivered up to the Father. That will be the end of earth history as well. You and I are living in this last period of Bible history. So today in this lesson, let's look at the church. Let's look at the establishment, first of all, of the church. It all began in the city of Jerusalem. Let's go to Luke chapter 24, and we're going to look at verses 46 and 47. Luke 24, 46 and 47. This is Jesus speaking. And said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. We go to the book of Acts. We're going to look at chapter 1 here. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. It says, and being assembled together with them, this is Jesus assembled together with the disciples, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So we see there the directive that Jesus gave. There be witnesses in Jerusalem, then Judea, in Samaria, and then the rest of the world. We see that fulfilled, the Holy Spirit coming upon them there in Acts chapter 1, on the first Pentecost after the Lord's death, or Acts chapter 2, excuse me. Acts chapter 2, begin reading there in verse 1. It says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And you go back and you look, and we notice that that is the apostles there from verse 26 of chapter 1. Verse 2, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat on each of them. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So there we see the Holy Spirit coming upon them. And then as Jesus promised that repentance and remission of sins would be preached among you know, by them in Jerusalem and then on throughout the rest of the world. In Acts chapter 2, following that, we have Peter's sermon that is given. And we come down to verse 36, and we're going to read verse 36, verses 36 through 38. Peter said, Therefore, after his discussion there about Jesus Christ and David and others, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Verse 38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. goes back to what Jesus had said earlier, that repentance and remission of sin should be preached, starting there at Jerusalem. In Acts 41, then they that, or 241, then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls, Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So there we see the preaching of repentance and the remission of sins beginning there in Jerusalem. Now the church was established via a new covenant. A new covenant had to be put into place. Jeremiah prophesied of that new covenant. We go back to the book of Jeremiah now, chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break. Although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. And we know that that covenant was the law of Moses. Now verse 33. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they all shall know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So there's the promise of the new covenant. We know that Peter talked about that, the remission of sins there in Acts 2.38. And by the writing of the book of Hebrews, that new covenant was in force. Hebrews chapter 8, and we're going to read verses 7 through 13. <clears throat> Hebrews 8, 7 through 13, and the book of Hebrews was written shortly before A.D. 70, maybe a couple of years at most. But anyway, Hebrews 8, 7 to 13. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there should have been no place sought for the second. All right, he's talking about the law of Moses. There was a problem with the law of Moses, and we're going to see what that problem is in a minute. So God had to make another covenant. Verse 8, for finding fault with them. Now, what was the fault with the law? The people. The people could not keep the law perfectly. So, for finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. <clears throat> Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. So, all right, that's the law of Moses. Now, verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. 
I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And in that he saith, The new covenant he hath made the first old. Now that which waxeth, uh, decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. So there was no forgiveness of sins under the law of Moses. Those sins can only be forgiven under the covenant testament law here of Christ. Now we'll go to Hebrews chapter 10 here. I want to look at verses 1 through 5. It says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. So there had to be a new covenant, a new law that was made. We go back to Hebrews chapter 7, and we want to read here beginning in verse 8. It says, And here men that die receive tithes. Let's talk about the priest. But there he receiveth them of whom it is witness that he liveth. That was going back talking about Abraham and Melchizedek. Now verse 9. And as I may say so, or may so say, Levi also who received tithes paid tithes in Abraham. For he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. What further need was there that another priest should arise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? Verse 12, For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change of law also. Now we stop right there for a minute. Jesus Christ could not be a priest under the law of Moses because he was from the tribe of Judah. Now verse 13, for he of whom these things which are spoken pertaineth to another tribe, of which no man gave attendance to the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning the priesthood. Now verse 15, And it is yet far more evident that if after the similitude of Melchizedek there ariseth another priest who is, not, who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but of the power of an endless life. For he testified, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So the priesthood changed. The law had to change. The covenant changed. That first covenant was taken away and the second one established. And it is through the body of Christ that we are sanctified. Hebrews 10, 9 and 10. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That law of Moses is taken away. It is out. It is gone. We are now under the law of Christ. And this New Testament, this new covenant came into effect after the death of Jesus. The promised blessings and conditions of salvation were not in effect during Jesus' life on earth because he died under that old law. In Hebrews chapter 9, look at verses 15 through 17. Hebrews 9, 15 through 17. And for this cause, he, that being Jesus, is the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. 
For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. Jesus had to die before his testament came into being. Now, Jesus is the founder of the church, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Jesus answered in uh, verse 17, Jesus is speaking. Verse 18, And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. One church, Jesus is the founder of it. Jesus is the head of it. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. It says, And hath put all things under his feet, that being the Father under the Son's feet, and gave him, Jesus, to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So the church is under the new covenant. It was established under the new covenant, and it is in effect now. Now, God's plan, I want to look at God's plan for the organization of the church. We go to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, and we see that all things must be done according to God's pattern. This is just an example. It says there, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished by God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for saith he that thou make all things according to the pattern shown thee in the mount. So the pattern that God has set up for the church must be what is done. The church is made up of members. Now these members, and we saw that the church is the body of Christ. So these members are the body of Christ. Now what about them? Colossians 1.13 Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 says of Jesus who hath delivered us from the power of God the Father who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. We are in the kingdom of Christ. That kingdom as we read earlier is the church. We are those who are in the church, those who are members of the body of Christ, are sanctified and called saints. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. He says, Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Now, we are all part of the same body. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13 says, For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. So we see that we are baptized into the body of Christ. That is how we get into Christ. As we've looked at in earlier lessons, Romans chapter 6 gives us that example. 6 verse 3, know you not that so many of us as were baptized into his death, were bapt or baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. So that's how we get into Christ. Galatians chapter 3 verse 27 also says that. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And here we see that we are baptized into one body, that being the church. If you have not been baptized for the remission of your sins, you're not in the church. That's all there is to it. Now, these members of the body of Christ are overseen by men who are called elders, 
pastors, overseers, and presbyters. That all refers to the same group of men. Titus was left in Crete to ordain elders in every city. Titus chapter 1, verse 5. Titus 1, 5, For this cause I left thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. And you'll notice elders there is in the plural. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders in the churches in Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Pisidia. Acts chapter 14, look at verses 21 through 23. Acts chapter 14, verses 21 through 23. And when they had preached the gospel of that city and taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. So they were elders there they appointed in every church. Paul called the Ephesian elders to Miletus to speak to them. Acts chapter 20. Look first of all at verse 17. Acts chapter 20, verse 17. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. In verse 28 he is speaking to this group. And he says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. So there we have another name for elders and that is overseers. Peter was an elder apparently there in the church in Jerusalem. 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 through 3. 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 through 3. The elders which are among you I exhort who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And now verse 4. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Now, as we look at the various words here in 1 Peter 1, or 5, 1 to 3, we have the word elders. That word is the Greek word presbyteros, which means elder, senior, older, more advanced in years, and elder or presbyter in the church. So whenever you see the little Mormon elders come by, you know that they are teaching a false doctrine because they are not elders. And Mormonism is false anyway. Now, it says to feed. The Greek word poimain, which means one who tends flocks or herds, a shepherd, herdsman, to tend, direct, superintend, or pastor. That's who a pastor is, an elder. And then we have the word taking oversight, episkopos, an inspector, an overseer, a watcher, or guardian. Again, we notice that every congregation had at least two elders. There is no one-man leadership in the church at all until you get to the head of the church, that being Jesus Christ. Now, these pastors or elders are concerned with the spiritual welfare of the church. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Hebrews 13, 17. It says, Obey them that have the rule over you. And you notice them, plural again, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they mu that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. <clears throat> the qualifications for these men are given in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, which we want to turn to first. It's also given in Titus 1. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 7. This is a true saying, If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. 
A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Verse 7, Moreover, he must have a good report of them that are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. And there are also qualifications for elders' wives and deacons' wives here in verse 11. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Now let's go to Titus chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Titus 1, 6 through 9. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children. Now I want to stop just a minute there. That having faithful children is in the present tense. It is not in the past tense. Or it is also says having faithful children. It doesn't say, oh, one out of six or one out of four or three out of seven or five out of ten or anything like that. Having faithful children. How many is that? That's all. All faithful children. Now continuing on. Not accused of riot or unruly. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God. Not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre. But a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be by able, uh, able by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. No woman can ever be an elder in the Lord's church. As we saw there in 1 Timothy 3, 2, a bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife. In Titus 1, 6, if any be blameless, the husband of one wife, and no woman can be the husband of one wife. Now, each congregation is served by men who are called deacons. These, these men have qualifications that they must fit as well. And those are found in 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. 1 Timothy 3, verse 8. Likewise, must deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine. That much wine there doesn't mean they can drink alcohol. That much wine there was something like our hot dog eating contest and things. They would see who could drink the most non-alcoholic wine. You go back and you look in history, you see that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about deacons can drink alcohol. That is sin. But continuing on there, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of faith in a pure conscience, and let these also first be proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Now verse 12, let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. So, no woman can ever hold the position of a deacon in the Lord's church either, because we read that the deacon, verse 12, let the deacons be the husbands of one wife. Each congregation in the first century had an evangelist. In Acts chapter 20, verse 31, Paul was in Ephesus here for quite a good time. Acts 20, 31. Paul says, this again speaking to the Ephesian elders, he says, therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. So Paul was there for at least three years. Philip was in Caesarea, Acts chapter 21, verse 8. And the next day we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea and entered into the house of Philip the evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. So here we have an evangelist in each place, but an evangelist is not an elder. 
unless he is appointed to be an elder. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Ephesians 4, 11. It says there, He gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Those are different things, different parts there in a congregation. Now, it mentions that Peter was an elder, but we don't know that Peter was the evangelist. Now, no woman can ever be the evangelist of the congregation where men are present. 1 Timothy 2.12. 1 Timothy 2.12, and I will clarify that a little bit by saying Christian men because a non-Christian cannot preach. You don't want him up there either. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in, in silence. And then verse 8, they're talking about no man there that is not faithful, not even being leading a prayer in a congregation. He says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Men there, the Greek word for the male, and then lifting up holy hands, someone who is faithful to God. No one who is unfaithful has a right to pray or to lead any part of the worship service. In a local congregation of the Lord's church that is spiritually mature, now there are going to be some congregations that don't have men that are qualified to be elders, and the men have to take that aspect on until members are. There are men that are qualified and should be working toward that, not just staying in the same old rut there. But in a Lord's church that is spiritually mature, there are members, elders, and deacons. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons. Now, I want to look at the special names of the church. There are several different designations given for the Lord's church in the New Testament, and these names are special because they are designated by God himself. Go to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Ephesians 3, 14 and 15. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. God has given a name, and we'll see that name here in a minute. But the church is called the church of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. And it's not talking about the denomination that we know of today. 1 Corinthians 1, 2, he says, Under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, call saints with all that in every place, call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, we've read it, but it also mentions it is called the church of God. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. That would be the church of Jesus or the church of Christ that we see there because he is the one that purchased it. The church is called the body of Christ. Colossians chapter 1 verse 18. Colossians 1 18 says, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. So it is called the body. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, And has put all things under his feet, gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So it is called the body of Christ. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, as we read a while ago, Jesus called it my church. My church is what Jesus called it. It's not anybody else's church. It is not to be named after anyone else. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, the church that belongs to Christ. In Romans chapter 16, verse 16, it is called the Church of Christ, Churches of Christ. Romans 16, 16. 
Proverbs. That's Acts 16, 16. <laughs> Let's go to Romans 16, 16. It says there, salute one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. It is also called the bride of Christ. Romans chapter 7, verse 4. Romans chapter 7, verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. So if we're married to Christ, we are the bride of Christ. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 9. Revelation 21, verse 9. It says there, Revelation 21, 9. I don't know why I have Revelation 21, 9. It's Revelation, well, I do too. Let's go ahead and read that. And there come unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the last seven last plagues, and talking with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. So we're the Lamb's wife. And in Revelation 22, 17, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. That's the church says, Come to those who are wanting to have salvation. So it's called the bride of Christ, also called the family of God. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 15. Ephesians 3, 15. It says, Of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And the name is all important. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There are special names that are given for the members of the church, and these names are given by God. Ephesians 3.15 that we saw a while ago. Members of the body of Christ are called disciples. Acts chapter 11, verse 26. Acts chapter 11, verse 26. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves together with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. A disciple is one who follows a teacher and his teachings. And so Christians are the ones who follow the teacher and his teachings. Disciples, or excuse me, members of the body of Christ are called saints. Romans chapter 1, verse 7, first of all. Romans chapter 1, verse 7. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, call saints. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We read that also a while ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, and in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. A saint is one who is sanctified, set apart for service. Excuse me, got hiccups all of a sudden. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, the members of the body of Christ, or members of the church, are called brethren. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. We're called brethren. We're also called children of God. While we're here in Galatians, look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. Chapter 3, verse 26, For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And then Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. We're led by the Spirit of God through His Word. And then we are called Christians. Acts chapter 11, verse 26, we saw that the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. In Acts chapter 26, verse 28, 
Acts 26, 28. It says there, Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. He knew what it meant. And then 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. No other name of a follower of God is authorized by God. Now, what is the church's creed? The New Testament is the only creed of the New Testament church. Creed comes from the Latin word credo, which means I believe. So a person's creed is what he believes. Well, the creed then of the New Testament church is the New Testament. Our rules of faith and practice come from the New Testament. Jesus has all authority. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. It says, Jesus came and spake unto them and said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. So Christ is the one that has all authority in the church. The Bible is God-breathed, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, where Paul wrote that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or complete, truly furnished unto every good work. And the Bible provides everything we need, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 2 Peter 1, 3, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. And we are saved through obeying the word of God. James chapter 1, verse 21. James 1, 21. Wherefore, lay aside or lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. No New Testament church ever had anything in addition to God's word, such as standard manuals, creed books, synods, councils, confessions of faith, disciplines, or conventions. Those are not part of the New Testament church. And those who use such things are not part of the New Testament church. The New Testament church obeys the doctrine of Christ. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11. 1 Peter 4, 11. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. Not the oracles of anybody else. And then also notice 2 John, verse 9. 2 John, verse 9. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. I want to read through verse 11. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, what's that? The doctrine of Christ Receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed, for he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 9. Matthew chapter 15, verse 9. Jesus said, But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Verse 13, Jesus, or he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Galatians 1, 6 through 9. A marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel which is not another. 
but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you that yet ye have received, let him be accursed. What are those other gospels? Manuals, creed books, synods, councils, confessions of faith, disciplines, conventions. The words of men, not the words of God. Now God had his plan for the worship in the church. The only acceptable outlines for worshiping God are found in his New Testament singing praises without the accompany of mechanical instruments of music or hand clapping or feet stomping or whistling or humming or solos or choirs colossians 3:16 and ephesians 5:19 you look at those verses and people will say well god doesn't say not to well yes he does Ephesians 5.19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Where's the singing to take place? In the heart. Where's the melody to take place? In the heart. You know, if mom told you to go buy a gallon of milk and a loaf of bread, she didn't have to tell you don't buy a candy bar, don't buy a car, don't go buy a boat, don't go buy a house. All she said was that, and that's what she authorized, and God authorized only singing. Whenever we look in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Colossians 3, 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. A mechanical instrument of music is an addition and is sin. Men are to lead in public prayers where men are present. Christian men, that is, as we looked at a while ago in 1 Timothy 2.8. A woman has no authority to pray unless they're in something like a ladies' day or there are only ladies in the congregation. Teaching and preaching the word of God is to be done. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. It's a shame whenever people get into these things like leadership training for Christ and last the leaders and things like that using entertainment to try to draw our young people in. Why don't we just teach them the word of God? Acts 20 verse 7. And upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow and continued his speech until midnight. We're to partake of the Lord's Supper every first day of the week, as we saw here in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, and then in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. It says, now, as, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I've given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store that God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Why would they gather together on the first day of the week to partake of the Lord's Supper? We saw that in Acts chapter 20, verse 7. To sing praises, to teach, to admonish, and giving of our means back to God is to be done on the first day of the week, as we just read. Our worship must be in spirit and in truth. John 4, 24. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And one last point here. The saved are found only in the church. Acts chapter 2, verse 47. We read it a while ago. Let's go read it again. Acts chapter 2, verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. That's where the saved are. How does one become a member of the church? Well, let's see what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. While he yet spake, behold, a bright light overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. We must be listening to Jesus Christ. 
Acts chapter 20, uh, Acts chapter 3, excuse me, verses 22 and 23. For Moses truly said unto the fathers of prophets, Shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me? Him ye shall hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. So if we hear and obey Jesus Christ, we're going to be saved. If we don't, we're not going to be saved. So what did Jesus say? Jesus said we have to believe. John 8, 21 through 24. John 8, 21 to 24. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and ye shall seek me, and shall die in your sins. Whither I go, ye cannot come. Then said the Jews, Will he kill himself? Because he saith, Whither I go, ye cannot come. And he said unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you, That ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am, ye shall die in your sins. Jesus said we must repent. Luke chapter 13, verses 3 through 5. Luke chapter 13, verses 3 through 5. He said there, I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or those eighteen upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sitters above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33, Jesus said we must confess his name. Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. We must be baptized for the remission of sins. Jesus said that in Mark 16, 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Anybody that doesn't practice that or doesn't believe it, doesn't teach it, is calling Jesus a liar. And then Jesus said, Be faithful unto death. Revelation 2, 10 the end of that verse says, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee the crown of life. You know, today we've seen the church. We've seen when she was established, her organization, her God-given names, or God-given names for the members, that the New Testament is her only creed. We saw God's plan for her worship. We saw the saved are found only in the church. We saw how to become one of the saved and be in the church. Have you done that? Are you willing to follow these requirements if you have not that are given by Jesus to become his disciples? If you are his disciple, do you need to make your life right with the one who died for you? Jesus is the head of the church, and he pleads with you to be saved. If you haven't done that, you need to answer the Lord's invitation. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ, located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Wave Media by visiting us at BibleWaveMedia.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We thank you for listening.